Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to become to come together as brothers and sisters to study your word this morning. We ask that you search our hearts and prepare our spirits for receiving your word. And that you'll be with Dave as he gives us a message this morning and that we'll receive it and utilize it and take it to heart and worship you and fellowship with you, Father. We ask to also search our hearts for our sins, forgive us of our sins and our sinfulness, our rebellion, our pride, that you'll give us this, uh, a willingness to confess to you, Father, that we are in need of a Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ, and we look to him for all things, and we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Matt. Well, congratulations, guys. We're almost, almost through uh, a tough neck of the woods here uh, in Romans 9, 10, and 11. So we'll pick up this morning in a bit in Romans 11, 11. But first, I want to just start, you know, each week we want to just go back um, and start our time in, in just a reminder of how good the gospel is. As we talk about in Romans, the power of the gospel to save and to save completely. I just wanted to read a couple verses from Jude um, that I've been hanging on to and thanking the Lord for. So Jude's a short little book. It's just one chapter. So the last two verses, he ends kind of with a doxology or a song. It's like a song, a poem, a prayer all together. And uh, he says this about Jesus. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So if you remember, you know, in, in Romans, we, we spent some time talking about um, that, that go, those who God foreknows and predestined and those who predestined He's called, and those he calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he glorifies. And we were just reminded that what God starts, he, he finishes. And you and I are somewhere in between that and feel like um, oftentimes we'll forget and feel like it's up to us, and um, we kind of doubt our own faithfulness and all these things. But there are these promises in Scripture that he is faithful, he as he says here, will present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Um, he will keep us from stumbling. And so a reminder that, that faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in the one who keeps us from stumbling um, and prevent or presents us before the Lord uh, blameless and with great joy. So I uh, just want to start with that, just a reminder as we talk about the power of the gospel to save is um, I think we would miss it if we worked all the way through Romans and didn't see how the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus starts it, he, uh, his spirit walks with us through this life and he finishes what he starts and I'm really, really grateful for that amidst all my ups and downs and my doubts and struggles and uh, times of... <clears throat> lacking in faithfulness that he is faithful and he will keep me keep us from stumbling so just a reminder there um if we could let's go to romans 11 and uh, let's read the whole chapter together and 
and um, then we'll pick up in verse 11 and move from there. I'll do some, some summary work, um, and uh, let me read. Uh, here comes Dennis and Susan. There we go. I think they're joining us. Um, but will somebody pick up Romans chapter 11, verse 1? Take a paragraph or so and then pass it around. Good morning, Dennis and Susan. Welcome. We're going to pick up in Romans 11. We're going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to start studying from verse 11 moving forward. So somebody take verse 1, paragraph or 2, and then pass it on. I ask then, has God rejected his people by no means? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, that he appeals to God against Israel? Uh, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what... Uh, is God's reply to him. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Uh, but if they, it is by grace, then it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Uh, David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more would, will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jew jealous and thus have some of and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing roots of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand firm through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that the kindness and the severity 
of God is severity towards those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their un if they do not continue unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fulfillment of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts from the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God and now receive mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he may be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John and Connie. Carried the whole chapter for us. Thank you. Um, well, just a reminder, you know, we, we know Romans 9, 10, and 11 uh, provokes a lot of questions and tension with a, within us. Um, it has been, um, I've been sharing with Sean, it, it's been really challenging me this time through Romans. And so uh, what we said is, hey, keep, let's keep asking these tough questions. So as you come across things here, throw them out and we'll do our best to, to tackle them in a minute or two. And then if we realize, man, this, this question deserves a longer conversation. When we're done with Romans 11, we're going to spend a whole time together where we just go back through. We're going to track those questions and just go back through and have a longer conversation about any of these tough questions. I've already got about four of them written down um, that I'm hoping Sean can answer uh, when we get to it. Um, so keep asking good questions as we work through. We'll do our best to, to go to scripture and see what the Lord has. And if, if we can't come to some sort of uh, conclusion in a couple minutes, then we'll, we'll put it on the back burner and say, we'll get to that um, and do our best. So Sean, good morning. Good to, good to see you. Um, and uh, let me do this. Uh, I've just got a short paragraph summary of Romans 9 and 10 and 11. Let me read each of those, and then we'll pick up verse 11 and, and go from there. So chapter 9, Paul focused on Israel in the past. He reminds readers that being an ethnic Israelite never made you an automatic member of the covenant. 
God has always selected a subset, or the language Paul uses is a remnant of Abraham's family, beginning, if you think all the way back to Genesis 12, to carry on this promise he made, this covenant promise he made with um, God, between God and Abraham and his family to come. Now, this line of promise is carried on by those who follow Jesus. Um, people inside and outside the people of God have rejected God. So that Romans 9 was kind of looking at that idea um, over and over. And then chapter 10, so Israel in the present. Um, what is God's relationship with, with Israel in the present? Many of the Israelites reject the Messiah because they are basing their relationship with God on their performance in obeying the laws of the Torah. They don't recognize God's plan for a new covenant family based on faith alone in Christ alone. So Paul in, in chapter 10 was saying, why are so many ethnic Israelites rejecting Jesus as Messiah? Is because they're still relying on their own performance and obeying the law um, rather than trusting in Christ and Christ alone. So now the question is, as we have moved last week into chapter 11, is so what, what's the future for Israel, the, the family of Abraham that God made this covenant with? What about the future for them? Uh, is God done with Israel? And he gives us an emphatic no. There are many Jews who do believe in the Messiah. And so we saw last week he used the example of Elijah. Elijah thought he was the only one who was still faithful, and, and God very directly, um, graciously, but very directly tells Elijah, uh, you, you know nothing. I think, John, you, you use the term, Elijah, you have a limited perspective. And I re that really stuck with me. I appreciate that phrase. Elijah, you have a limited perspective. You think you're the only one who believes and is staying faithful, but there's 7,000 other followers uh, scattered throughout Israel that are staying faithful and true. And so Paul, Paul brings that up as an example to say, hey, it may look like as a whole ethnic Israel has rejected Jesus, but there is a remnant um, you know nothing about. There are those who do believe in Jesus as Messiah. Um, and God has used the rejection of Jesus to spread the good news and create a multi-ethnic family of Jesus followers. You see this language all over in Peter and Paul's writings in the letters that God is bringing the nations together under the leadership, um, the saving work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And then where we'll be going in Romans 11, one day the Jews will acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. When and how, we're not sure. Um, but God has promised that there will be a day when uh, more and more of the, the ethnic Israelites will have their eyes opened and come to see and believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But in the meantime, God is faithful to the promise he made with Abraham a few thousand years ago. So that's where we're going. Um, would somebody pick up again and read 11? So chapter 11, verse 11 through 14, and let's look at that section together. So 11 through 14. So I asked, I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now in their trespasses means riches, for the world and in their failure means riches for the Gentiles. How much more will their full 
inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save save some of them. All right, that's good. I've got a question on that. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. And I just see the word jealous used Mm. several times here. Is this the jealous definition Mm. how God is a jealous God or is it a jealous of a envious that you have something that I don't have? Yeah, great question. That's a really good question. Let's let let's hear the maybe the group weigh in here. What do you guys see as you see that Paul use the word jealous here? Um, to Ron's point, is it the the way God uses jealous as I'm a jealous God, I'm jealous for you, or is it more the human um, jealousy or envy? If you will, what do you guys think as you look at this? Too tough of a question, Ron. Stop asking the tough questions. You know what I'll do? I'll do a homework thing and I'll I'll research that. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, do some homework on that, and we'll we'll come back to it. Um, there's some language, you know, Ron. I'm glad you highlighted that right out of the gate. There's some language Paul uses here. We're like, wait, is it is a Christian supposed to think that way? <laughs> you know, and you're like, he's Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I guess so. Uh, but yeah, I, I I'm glad that you landed on that. Anything else you guys see in 11 through 14? What what do you think, Paul? is laying out in these couple verses. Once again, think in bigger context. Uh, he's asking the question, what, what is God's plan for the future of the nation of Israel, people of Israel? What's Paul beginning to lay out here in 11 through 14? Quiet group this morning. Mm-hmm. Let me do this. I'll, I'll just lay out a, a couple quick summaries of each verse. Um, he, he's kind of laying out three stages of blessing as he sees it. Um, so the first in verse 11 is Israel's difficulties with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has led to the salvation of Gentiles. So he sees even the, the hardness of the heart of Israel has opened the door uh, for the gospel to not just remain in Jerusalem and Israel, but to be scattered out into the nations so that now you and me, think about this for a second, 2,000 years later, all the way here in California, we get to know and believe in Jesus because the word has been um, scattered and taken all the way out here to us. And so um, Paul sees that as as a blessing. Uh, The second thing in verse 12 is eventually... Israel's full belief will bring greater blessing to the world. Um, So the argument he kind of uses is um, in verse 13, 14, as you mentioned, jealousy, Ron, is through the gospel success with the Gentiles, Israel will be one. And uh, and basically, essentially what he's saying is, is the people of Israel who've had this covenant relationship with God all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12, are now seeing you and me, those of us who are non-Jewish, Gentiles, coming to be a part of the covenant family of God. 
um, under Jesus as Messiah, and they're saying, wait a second, um, we, what's going on here? And, and Paul is essentially saying God's going to use that to provoke some, je- uh, some jealousy within um, Jewish people to say, wait, why are the Gentile nations um, getting to be a part of the covenant family of God? I thought it's always been about us, and it's going to drive them back to the gospel, away from performance and obeying the law and the Torah um, to Jesus and Jesus alone. Um, anything else you guys see in there in, in those verses? Sean, anything you would want to highlight? No, it's just that it's really, really noisy here, and so mm. I'm trying to stay muted until everybody leaves. Sorry. <laughs> okay, no worries. I won't. I'll try not to ask you uh, any questions until then. But if I if I miss anything along the way, um, wave or something. How's that? Um, okay. Any anything in there? I'm not understanding. You know, also it says now in the trespass. Now, if their trespasses means riches for the world, and their failure means riches to the Gentile, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Mm-hmm. So, what they're saying is, is that that basically um, by my riches I'm poor, by my poorness I'm rich. Is that what it's saying? Uh. It could be that, but I, I think more so what Paul is, is saying is he's taking a negative and showing how even what we perceive as a negative, God is using as a positive, as a blessing. So, for for example, I think you're referring to verse 12. He, he's saying if the nation of Israel, if, if the majority of Israelites have rejected God and God has used that as a blessing to reach the Gentile nations to bring us in. Now imagine what a blessing it'll be to the world when Israel's hearts are softened and they come back to Jesus. So he's saying if if God can use something negative like the hardening of the hearts of Israel and bring a blessing to the world, imagine what a blessing will come to the world when Israel's hearts are softened and turned back to him. I think that's the argument I see Paul making here. Um, here, let me read uh, Sean's chat here. Showing the incredible grace of God both to the Jews and the Gentiles. Yeah. So, so uh, Ron, do you see that there? Of him yeah. saying, hey, if God can use this to bring blessing, now imagine. Uh, because that's God's plan. Like. If you, if you were to go back, and I encourage you to do this in your own time, if you were to read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God's original covenant promise to Abraham, it's all about blessing, right? I think that's why Paul's using so much blessing uh, language, is because if, um, if God is promised through Abraham, the nations would be blessed through the people of Israel. Now imagine what kind of blessing will come um, when, when the covenant people of Israel turn and soften their hearts towards God. So, good question, Ron. Uh, let's pick up. Sean, keep dropping things in the chat if you got more. Will somebody take um, verse 15 and 16? For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? 
if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Thanks. But man. if some of the branches were, oh, do you want me to go on? That's oh, that's it. good right there. Okay. I'll let you take 17 through 22 in a bit if you want. Um, so verse 15, he's reiterating verse 12 a little bit here and saying if Israel's unbelief has had this benefit. So Ron, to your, your point here, if Israel's unbelief has had this benefit, imagine the benefit of their belief in Jesus. Um, and so the best in, in Paul's uh, thinking, the best is yet to come. If, if the rest of this world is being blessed by the rejection of the Jews, just imagine how much more the blessing will be when the Jews are brought back in um, more and more and more. And so, and uh, verse 16, it reminds me, you guys know I have a, a deep love for John 15, um, such a good chapter about abiding in Christ and Christ alone. He is the true vine and we are the branches. And we're going to get into some grafting stuff here in a few verses. Um, but if the root is holy, so are the branches. It reminds me so much of John 15, 1 through 5. If we, the branches, abide in Jesus, the true vine will bear the holy fruit of Jesus. And so once again, it's, it's not about us willing or working to bear the fruit. It's about us abiding and connecting and recognizing the root is holy. Um, Jesus is is the the root to the the true faithful one in this covenant relationship with God and we cling to him just like a branch clings to the vine and uh, his holiness is lived through us it's it's never been about us is essentially what it comes back to and um and so he's beginning to to talk about what it, what's going to look like when uh Israel is as a whole is brought back into this covenant relationship with God through Christ and not through the law. Will somebody, uh, Matt, you're welcome to take it or somebody else take 17 through 22. 17 through 22 as we kind of get into this agricultural grafting metaphor that Paul's going to use. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root, the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. Or if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold, then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. All right. Thanks, Matt. So if you remember right, Sean and I talked more about this early on in the first couple chapters of Romans. But Paul moves back and forth between the two audiences of the Jew and the Gentile when he's writing. You see that especially in chapter 1, 2, and 3, um, where he, he'll kind of look the, the Jewish audience in the eye and, and write directly to them, and then he'll move over and he'll then address the, the Gentile crowd in light of that. 
this is a specific moment where you'll see, I, I picture Paul looking, I, I believe most of us in this um, group right here would consider ourselves uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish. Paul looks us in the eye and says, in light of everything you've been reading here in Romans 9, 10, and 11, what should our response be? What, what should our disposition be as Gentiles um, who um, the gospel has come to? So, so what would you guys say to that? As, as you read maybe 17 through 22, what is Paul saying to you and to me? What should our attitude, our disposition be in light of everything we're reading in Romans 9, 10, and 11 for the non-Jew? I think for me that we need to, as it says, do not be arrogant, that we we are grafted in. We are not just there. We Without God, we are nothing. And so, therefore, we should not say to the Jew, hey, I am, I've arrived, or whatever, that I have still the same dependence on God as you do. It's a good response, yeah. Think about how much pain throughout human history um, could be saved if if um, this is how the Christian as a whole throughout the world were to respond to our understanding what it means to be included in God's plan for salvation versus saying, uh, you know, move over, Jew, it's our turn, right? Uh, there's, there's a real humility here in us getting to be a part of this versus um, thinking we're it, right? Um, anything else you guys see in 17 through 22, you'd say, man, this, is, this ought to be the attitude, the heart of some of us are there just happy to be included, right? If I may, another thing is that it says, do not be proud, but fear. Mm. I think when you're proud, you're not submitting, but when you're in fear, you do submit. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really... Um, we need to have the, the spirit of submission opposed to um, self-sufficiency. It's mm, good. It's interesting to me, we have so few Jewish people in this area. Mm-hmm. We just don't come in contact with many Jewish people. Mm-hmm. But I guess back east, mm-hmm. um, this may be more of a, a hot button. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was pleased to see that on that bulletin at 4th Street, one of the prayer requests was for Israel. I think mm. that's really important. Yeah. Just to pray for Israel. Yeah. Yeah, John, John and Connie, I've, I've heard you guys bring this up quite a bit. I, I know that you do make an effort to pray. What are what are some things you're praying when you pray for Israel? Salvation. Mm-hmm. That they will understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah. That's what I pray. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I've shared with you, Dave, there's a huge movement going on in Israel. Um, and... Uh, a particular, a particular organization called One for Israel is having a major impact. Uh, they're, they're Jewish believers who are hmm. sound uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they're reaching out. Their motto is, the best way to bless Israel is with Jesus. Hmm. And so um, hmm. 
Yeah, so we're praying for that. And we're mm. supporting that work. And um, if you know God's heart, you know you have to love Israel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just, I got to meet with, um, for those of you who don't know, as a church, we have the opportunity to just support a little bit financially uh, the organization called Jews for Jesus. Um, we support uh, Kyle Young, who uh, is married to um, Bruce and Teresa Norton's daughter, Courtney. And they're doing ministry down in L.A. They uh, actually have a coffee shop across from the UCLA campus, and their goal is to be a, a place where students come across and they just engage them with the gospel um, and have a real heart for uh, reaching uh, Jews and helping them see that Jesus is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool to hear. And I, I was just talking to him last week and, and saying, I, I think, too, along with this humility for the rest of us, um, how often we hear people struggle with reading the Bible, and I totally get it. I'm there, too, because the culture feels so different, and it feels disconnected. And I think it's the job, too, as, as a Gentile, to do our best to respect and appreciate the Jewish culture. And the more we do, and the more interested we are, the more the Bible begins to come alive, too. I'll just give you one simple example. Um, About five or six years ago, um, I became really fascinated by the idea of Passover. And I just started studying Passover and how the Jewish people would practice it on a yearly basis and what it looked like around the dinner table for their family. And I'm not necessarily saying we have to adopt all that, right? Because ultimately, we know that the Passover was put in place by God to point forward and foreshadow to Jesus as the fulfillment of that. So um, we don't have to, to every year make sure we practice it in order to be in line with Scripture, but it's a beautiful thing to dig in and, and recognize what's been practiced for over 3,500 years now. And, and as you do and as you stop and you learn more about the Jewish culture, the more in love with the Old Testament you become and more in love and more familiar with you become with how it points forward to Jesus. Every, especially with Passover, every little element on the table is just pointing forward to the cross and, and Jesus as the fulfillment. And so I think to, to our shame, um, for, for those of us who don't have Jewish background, for those of us who've just disregarded um, everything Jewish, we've missed out on a lot of the beauty, the history, the culture, the tradition that Scripture holds out to us. It is all pointing to its fulfillment in Jesus. And so I think we owe it um, to our love for the Word. We owe it to the fact that, that Jesus is Jewish. <laughs> uh, we owe it uh, to come with a real humility to say, um, not to impose ourselves on the culture and the traditions, but to want to learn um, from the Jewish people. And when we do, we get a, 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 a unique perspective on who Jesus is and what he's like and how all scripture has been pointing to him. Uh, let's go to, um, well, before I move to 23 and 24, I, I want to tackle, verse 22 is tough, and so I, I was going to just throw that out to the group and say, I, I, I have some thoughts on it, and I did some reading on it, but um, there, there's some tough things in there. 
that I, I want to maybe talk about as a class, and then we'll move to 23 and 24. But first of all, I want you to notice at the, the balance of God's character. Look in 22 how it says, um, note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who've fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Um, and uh, I just, the more I study the character of God and who he is, uh, the more amazed I am at, as Paul says, his kindness and his severity, his justice and his mercy. Uh, God perfectly balanced in not turning a blind eye towards sin, every single sin that's been in rebellion against him and brought pain to this world will be punished. Every wrong will be made right. And yet through Jesus, he's found a way for every sin to be punished um, and in a way for justice to be done, but for you and I to receive mercy because, of, because Jesus received the punishment for you and for me, we get to receive mercy. And so God remains fully um, true to his character of being just and merciful, kind and severe towards sin. Um, that just is incredible to me that, that because Jesus receives that punishment, we receive mercy. Um, it reminds me of the line um, in Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with it, where they're referring to uh, Aslan the lion. And, and one of the characters is, is talking about, he, he says he's good, but he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. Don't, don't treat him like a pet. Um, you, you recognize that there's a kindness, but there's a, there's a severity. Uh, there is a holiness, a majesty to God that keeps us humble and in a right perspective of who he is and how great he is. Um, God is good, he's kind, and he's loving, he's for you, but he is not your pet. Uh, you better keep that in perspective. Um, question, though, is, but God's, and Sean, if you could weigh in here, God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Th thoughts on that verse? Where Where's Paul going with that? How do you and I work with that? Were you opening that up to the class or were you asking me specifically? Either, either yeah, if anybody had thoughts on it. I, I spent some time working on it, but I, I still want some more clarity on it. But um, yeah, do you have thoughts on that, Sean? Yeah, it seems that, uh, it seems that Paul, uh, as he's writing this, is writing to a group in general, mm -hmm. writing to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and not yeah. specifically the salvation of each one of us. And so he, he talks about, the Jews being um, being removed uh, because of their hardness. And I think he's saying the same thing to the Gentiles, that in fact, if you go the way of the Jews, I will I will cut you off. Mm -hmm. Remember, the, the branches for the Jews, they're, it's, they're natural, but yeah. we're grafted in. So the difference of removal and cutting off is the difference of natural and being grafted in. But he's talking to the the. the about the Jews in, as a whole mm -hmm. being removed. And he, then he's talking about if the Gentiles go the same way as the Jews being in a natural unbelief, he will also cut them off. Mm -hmm. 
similar to that language, right? Once again, John 15 of every branch in me that does not bear fruit will be cut off. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks for that. Uh, will somebody read 23 and 24? 23 and 24. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in their own olive tree? It's mm -hmm. good. So, you know, in, in the previous verses, he was addressing specifically the Gentile audience and saying, don't, don't get cocky, stay humble. Be grateful for the fact that God has grafted you into this great plan of salvation, into Christ and Christ alone. Now he bounces back to the Jewish audience and he wants us thinking about, and to John and Connie's point, to be praying for them that um, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Uh, so Paul is, is stressing God is not done with the, the Jewish people. Um, there will be a softening of hearts and a turning back to him and to be grafted back in. This is one of the reasons um, I came across this when I, I studied John 15 just a few months ago. This is one of the reasons Jesus, if you notice in John 15 verse 1, uses, he inserts this, this um, little addition in verse 1 where he says, I am the true vine. And Jesus is doing something really clever, really powerful when he says, I am the true vine. Because all throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets, God has revert, referred to his people as a vine or the vine that he planted in the promised land that um, at times were faithful, but most often were not faithful, um, were not true to God in his covenant. And so Jesus comes along and says, um, I am the true vine. And so I will be the, the faithful vine that God plants. Um, and, and you will be the branches. What I love about that for you, for me, and, and for the Jew is to recognize uh, it takes the pressure off of us to be the faithful vine and recognize that we are faithless, but Jesus is the faithful vine and we get to be the branches. Um, when, when we are trying to be the vine ourselves, we will be faithless. But when we recognize Jesus is the true vine God has planted on our behalf, um, we get to be a branch. And it comes with a lot of humility, but also a sense of relief that Jesus is everything that we are not. Uh, he is faithful in every way that we are not. Um, and so Paul's saying to, to the Jews, you are a faithless vine, but Jesus is the true vine. And you can be grafted back in as a branch into the true and faithful vine, Jesus. Um, anything else there in, in 23, 24 you guys see before we look at uh, 25 through 27? I think God is telling us uh, that basically telling us what we are. We are not a vine. We are not. We are a branch. A branch mm -hmm. is a branch is a branch. And a vine is a vine is a vine. Mm -hmm. And that we if we, we, if we are cut off, I mean, we, without being grafted in, we're nothing. We're, we're just a dead branch. 
and it takes the nurturing of the root to nurture the the vine and then in turn nurture the branch mm -hmm. and without that we are we we're just a piece of wood a dead mm -hmm. piece of wood yeah. that will just wither away yeah that's good ron I, I think a helpful way to think about that as you say that is when you and i try and earn our way to heaven or earn acceptance with God through our own obedience, our own strength, our own trying to follow the law. Um, that's us trying to be a faithful vine. But when we throw up our hands and say, God, I, I in my own strength am disobedient. I cannot follow the law. I am helpless to obey you and your good ways. Uh, can I be a branch and just connect and cling to the true vine, Jesus? Um, and so you, you just throw up your hands and you say, I, I'm not going to try and be the vine here. Jesus is the vine. Uh, I'm going to be a branch. <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> thank not, you, we're not Jesus. called to be yeah. a root. We're not called to be a vine. We're called to be a branch. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's so, yeah. you know, when we start taking on, the, what we're not called to do, it's done in arrogance and it will wither. Yeah. It'll take down other, yeah. it takes it, it will, you take down the nutrients of the other branches. And that's what Paul is, Paul is calling his fellow, you guys remember all the way back in nine, Paul's heart beats for his brothers and sisters in the Jewish nation who, um, or Israel nation who have not receive Jesus. His heart beats for them. So he's calling them to come back and recognize that they're not the vine. Jesus is the vine. Come back and be grafted in. Um, and I also recognize that. I apologize. I'm mixing metaphors. Paul's using olive uh, branch uh, metaphor and I'm using the vine. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for your grace on that. I can't get over John 15. But uh, Paul's using this grafting imagery. So Sean, you had a thought yeah, just a quick observation, um, and I, I don't have an answer for this. I guess I'm opening it up to the class, but it's interesting how he speaks about um, Israel being the natural and, and the Gentiles being grafted in, but the language he uses in 23 or 24, um, excuse me, 23, he said, and even they, so he's speaking about Israel again, mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, so he's He's, he's likening the grafting of the unbelieving Israelites as Gentiles. He's using, mm. he's using grafting, that same language that he uses with the Gentiles. They're not natural, but in fact, they're grafted back in. Mm -hmm. Just an observation. I don't know where, where to go with that other than I just know. Yeah, John. But just a couple of things. I think we, we know that there's neither Jew or uh, Gentile in Christ. Um, but I, my question is, I want, I want some clarification, if you could. Um, it looks like all of chapter 11 is talking to corporate um, Israel and corporate Gentiles as a collective. Mm -hmm. And verse 24 says, if you were cut off um, from what is by nature an olive tree, he's still talking collectively about Gentiles, not the individual. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that correct, is what I'm asking? John, that's how I see it. Um, I don't think if we look at it from an individual salvation perspective, 
that it's cohesive with the rest of scripture at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I'm, I'm definitely open to, 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 uh, changing my mind. I just see it as collective. Mm-hmm. Can I share something, you know, how last week we were talking about remnants and mm-hmm. election. Yeah. Please so do it. Was doing a little bit more studying on that one. And I wrote down, God originally chose the natural nation of Israel to be the tree of election, but the natural Jew refused to abide in that tree because they stumbled at the great stumbling block, which is Jesus. Um, natural Jews who become saved through, G- through faith in Jesus Christ are converted to Christianity. Remnant are those natural Jews who have come to knowledge, to the knowledge of saving grace which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Instead of being broken off as natural branches, they have been able to remain in their tree as spiritual Israel through the election of grace, which is by faith. Um, If any Jew or Gentile comes to God through faith in Jesus, he he is instantly grafted into that tree of election. When a Gentile becomes a believer, he is grafted into that same tree, but for the first time because he was never a natural branch of the spiritual nation of Israel. Um, when a natural, when a natural Jew, uh, when the natural Jews and Gentiles become part of the same election of, of grace by faith in Jesus, this is the new living tree of the elect. There is no difference as it is written. Mm-hmm. That's the Ann Young commentary. Yeah, <laughs> the literal Ann Young commentary. Well, I, yeah. I spent a lot of time on hmm. this because I was like really, really uh, confused about yeah. that, which told me about over, you know, during yeah. this week. Uh, in, in into that. Yeah. Thank you for all your work, Ann. That's really well laid out. Um, I think what it does, what to, to maybe Sean's point earlier, or John, I think you referenced it, there's neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't mean you, you lose your identity as, as being Jewish or, or Gentile. But what it does is it, it provides this equal footing at the cross. And you'll notice all the letters, especially in Ephesians, Ephesians when Paul writes, he's establishing this equal footing at, at the cross between Jew and Gentile, slave and master, male and female, this equal footing at the cross that says you're a branch that has been grafted in. You're not the tree. Jesus is the tree. You're not the vine. Jesus is the vine. You are a branch that has been brought in. And uh, it's humbling for all of us, but it's equally humbling to recognize Jesus is the faithful one. We get to be grafted in. So, and thank you for your work on that. That's, that's really good. Would you mind sending that to me? Okay. To me, it paints a picture of a farmer having this tree Mm -hmm. and he prunes off the dead tree Mm -hmm. or the dead branch, which would be, you know, the unbelieving Jews. Mm -hmm. And then he grabs in um, the Gentiles who are from another tree. And so now you have a new tree in, 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 you know, a new tree in Christ, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Christ being the new covenant. Mm-hmm. The new yeah, that's good. John, um, I want to make sure we don't skip over your question about collective or 
uh, corporate, I think is, is the word you use. Do you want to say a little more about that? No, I just wanted to, um, I, you know, there's been some confusion on verse 24, um, or some, um, people applying this to individuals. In other words, that we can lose our salvation. Yeah. That's the point. So I'm, yeah. my, my question is related to uh, this whole passage, this whole chapter is related uh, talking to corporate. When he says you, he's talking to Gentiles or uh, the uh, Jewish nation. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a really good catch. I think he's still addressing, I think from what, 17 all the way through at least 27. I'm not sure, but he's speaking more directly to the Jew, or sorry, to the Gentile. In 23, he speaks of the Jews, and then you're right, I believe 24, where he says, for if you were cut from what is by nature while all tree, he's referring to the Gentiles there. You were once, uh, would you agree, Sean? He's, he's addressing the Gentile in 24. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't see, again, looking at this from a, from a um, big 30,000-foot view, I don't see how he could be talking specifically to the individual and about salvation, um, but rather about the corporate body of, of Gentiles or Jews. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't make sense any other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a good place to pause. Um, I um, maybe What I'd like to do, just homework-wise, Ron, you're up for taking jealousy. Maybe come back to um, with us next week with some thoughts on that. And then uh, here's a fun one uh, that I, I, I'd love for somebody to lead out with next week. What is the mystery? Uh, so you'll see Paul reference mystery here in the next couple verses in chapter 11. And he, uh, he references it in Ephesians and a few other places. What is this mystery? Um, so would somebody be willing to, to answer that or do some, do some dig in and come with maybe some cross-references and some thoughts on what is the mystery Paul talks about. Somebody up for that? Connie and I will do it. All right. That'll be Question. Yeah. How, how in Paul's time did they have the assurance that they had the eternal salvation opposed to what we have it written through the New Testament? Where you know, so he's talking about being cut off and things mm -hmm. of that sort, and we would interpret it as being you know eternal salvation. Where, how do they have the assurance? Where where does it talk about that in the Old Testament? Does it does it at all? That's a that's a good question. I I'd like to Sean's busy this morning, as you can see. I'd like to lean on him for that because Sean Sean spent some really good time and wrote out kind of a whole biblical thesis of of that question you're asking Ron so I'd love for Sean to speak to that but um, one thing I would say is it seems clear that at some point you know these New Testament authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit and so you'll read in Ephesians um, Paul will talk about we are sealed with the Holy Spirit right um, and uh, so somewhere along the lines, Paul's able to connect the dots of the Old Testament and come, come to that conclusion, how he got there, if there are specific passages in the Old Testament 
that he followed or the Holy Spirit led him to to, to get there is is a great question. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't anybody else in the group maybe have thoughts on that? Are there things in the old here comes Sean, but um, are there things in the Old Testament that would give these New Testament writers assurance of eternal security? Sean, I was telling Ron um, you were gone, but he asked this question. I said, well, Sean, Sean wrote a paper on this, so he'd be the guy to ask. But um, Ron's asking, you know, are there passages in the Old Testament that would have given New Testament believers assurance of eternal security in their salvation? Um, how did they come to that conclusion? Um, are there, okay, it's hmm. a great question. Are there, I want to make sure I understand it. Are there specific passages in the Old Testament that reinforce eternal security in the New Testament? How is it that the people of the Old Testament had have the assurance of eternal salvation where it wasn't written about where we have it in the New Testament that talks about eternal salvation? Hmm. I think that's a great question. Um, off the top of my head, I think, you know, is there, I can't think of anything specific off the top of my head, but only through the actions of God and his faithfulness saying, I promise to do this. Mm. And, and those promises always come true every single time. And so I don't know that there's a specific verse that assures that, but I think the actions of God assures that for the Old Testament people, if that makes sense. So that's what they're going by when they they talk about eternal in the in the New Testament the promises of God that they have drawn the conclusions that salvation is eternal. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause right there, Ron, and not say anymore because I I don't know that I know how to answer that question well. Um, I think. I think I, if I can have a little bit of time to, to answer that, um, yeah, I think I think just standing on the promise of God mm -hmm. and seeing God be faithful time and time and time again is the assurance. And I think really that's what faith is, right? If there was always proof of something, then there's there's no faith. It's it truly is the faith that God is going to do what He says He's going to do. But let me stop there because I don't want to. Okay. I don't want to get too far off track and, and maybe do a little bit of research for you because I think that's a great question. It really is. That's a great question. Well, let's pick up there next week. So uh, homework-wise to lead off next week, and then I think we can finish out Romans 11. Ron, you've got um, the question of jealousy. John and Connie, you've got um, what is this mystery Paul speaks of? And then Sean um, will take um, Ron's question here about salvation for the old testament believer um eternal security so that's a it's a really good question um well let me let me pray for us have, we'll call it a morning go ahead Anne. i was just gonna comment that i like how um john made it a joint homework yeah <laughs> yeah good job it was kind to me this time yeah, yeah. exactly Look at you were last week, Connie. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Good observation, Anne. Good observation.
All right. Well, let me let me pray for us. Father, we love you, and uh, we just want to pause and Jesus say thank you for being the true vine, the true tree. We recognize um, our inability to be faithful. You you call us into this covenant, loving, faithful true relationship with you and uh, we in our own strength and ability fail it and our hearts wander after other things and we betray you and even to use the the language of scripture we're adulterers Um, we chase the things of the world and our own flesh and desire and pride and we turn our back on you god that's that's what we have done in the past over and over and over again and so we can't keep this covenant that you have invited us into but we know one who has and who does and so jesus we thank you for being the faithful covenant partner that we need and we put all of our trust in you and we just recognize right now with our jewish brothers and sisters and with our gentile brothers and sisters we're just branches and we cling to you, we abide in you. Jesus, thank you for being faithful and true. And thank you for giving us your spirit now to help us to become faithful and true. But we, uh, we know that all our, our sins and flaws and failures and rebellions and wanderings are forgiven and paid for because you received that for us. And... Uh, it's not us, it's you. And so we just cling to you and we thank you for being true. And uh, we want to be more and more true. We want to be men and women who are true and hold and abide in you and obey your word moment by moment, day by day. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being our substitute. In Jesus' name, amen. You would, uh... Amen. You and Sean, or one of or both of you, hang out with me for about three minutes. I got a general well question. Okay, absolutely.